Kia ora welcome to the panel uh, in RNZ National, Shane Tepo and Heather Roy with me this afternoon and Thursday afternoon and some wonderful uh, show and tells, that is the question of the day, uh, what is one item in your home that, uh, you know, is pretty special, we're going to be talking about that at 4.25, Wallace, on my shelf at home, a Welsh miner's lamp, a reminder of my heritage, family and a time when working people had political representation. And Tobias says, Wallace, I have a, I have an 1812 copy of the Chess Praxis. What is that? It's a series of adaptations to recognised chess gambits. I got it for three bucks in a Newtown second-hand bookshop. That's fantastic. Keep them coming. 2101 or email them to us. The panel at rnz.co.nz. By the way, uh, that give a little page for uh, fixing the parliamentary playground which was charred in yesterday's protest, uh, you just go to um, givealittle.co.nz and do a search for fixing the people's playground. And to that, extraordinary scenes yesterday after the massive operation to clear the illegal occupation of uh, Parliament grounds. People were set fire to trees and tents and loud bangs could be heard, possibly gas canisters exploding as the flames spread. Protesters, well, they've dispersed to some to sites in Greater Wellington, others home. And MPs today condemned the violence shown at protests. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern said this afternoon it was a form of protest I did not recognise, and I found it hard to recognise reconcile it with the reality of what all New Zealanders had faced in this pandemic and yet quietly got on with it. The National Party wholeheartedly condemned the actions of the protesters, calling it thuggery, uh, Chris Luxon said. First, let's go to Victoria University of Wellington Students Association President Ralph Zimbrano. Ralph, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Thank you for having me again. Pleasure. Now, so how is the campus? Because protesters, they did throw that rock, didn't they, and smashed the glass doors to uh, the university's Pipitea uh, campus and then set fire to, rub- to a rubbish skip nearby. I think it's outside Bunny Street. How are things now? It's a lot calmer now. It's, as, it's more peaceful than it has been for the last three weeks. But what we're seeing now is very much the aftermath of the situation that unfolded yesterday. When we were watching it unfold in the office, my friends and I were just watching and all speechless at seeing it, all that anger being put out against our campus, against our university premises, a place that is supposed to be safe for us, which just speaks to, I know it's just a small number of people, but all that aggression was just all on show yesterday. And I know that we were worried at the risk that our university law building would have been at. We heard stories that there were people chanting, let's go burn down the law school. And we were just worried that for a building that we are so proud to be studying at, are paying to be studying at, that could be taken away from us. And I guess it was that proximity thing too. Uh, many students were on the doorstep of this process. I think you mentioned last time that tents were even erected and entrances to uh, a couple of campus buildings. But how, how are students feeling now at this end? I think students are relieved. That's what I've heard from my friends. That's how I'm personally feeling. We're relieved that Pipitea campus is finally a campus space again, and it's now time for us to work on having a safe space for students to come back to, hopefully before that six-week period of online learning ends. I know that students are just eager to be back in the lectures and with each other once again. Finally, Ralph, do you feel that you've had the support from the the Victoria University throughout this? It's been fluctuating, in all honesty. We were frustrated at the lack of proactive planning, and we still 
hold the opinion that the damage that we saw unfold today might have been avoided or even mitigated if there was more of a collective and proactive effort to avoid the occupiers coming onto our campus grounds. But after those calls, after the open letter that we sent out, we were finally having the university engage with us and bring us into these spaces, which made it a lot easier and I think was to the benefit of our students for our ability to collectively support them and respond to the situation unfolding there. All right, kia ora, Ralph. Thanks for being on the programme again. appreciate it. Uh, that is uh, Ralph Zambrano, uh, Victoria University of Wellington Students Association. There are, someone just texted me, there's more protesters outside Unity Books in Wellington today uh, blocking a busy footpath and bus stop. This time, anti-vax group of uh, teachers. Um, and Heather, before we go to our next guest, Heather, you've... Uh, so you were in Wellington, the Wellington CBD yesterday. Yes, yes, I was down the other end of town, so well removed. But um, certainly, there were an awful lot of sirens going off, and uh, the police helicopter, as I said before, was circling for most of the day. So um, everybody knew that you know things were going on. But much more frightening, of course, for as Ralph was describing, those who were witnessing that aggression firsthand and very close to the to the events. Uh, just some news coming to hand too uh, by our health correspondent Rowan Quinn. A strike by about 10,000 health workers tomorrow has been postponed with their union saying it's because the DHBs told them they could not guarantee public safety. The workers will instead pick it at lunchtime tomorrow. And with us now is uh, a politics lecturer, Dr Lara Grease from the University of Auckland. Tanakwe, Dr Grease. Kia ora. How did you taken the events yesterday as a person often or that's your that's your work focusing on parliament and politics well yeah i do what i do because i love it Mm. and it kind of made me reflect on that classic school trip that a lot of us have been privileged to have where we go and we do a tour of parliament we see the parliamentarians going about their business and we always see you know the earthquake proofing in the basement but that access to parliament is something that's so beautiful about our democracy and the access to politicians. And so it really made me reflect on how fortunate we are to be able to at any time walk across that parliament lawn. And to the whole idea of being able to, to see that desecrated in that way and to see the potential for us to lose that is incredibly hurtful for me as a politics nerd, but I think <laughs> just to the general public as well. You ask, uh, a question that you ask is, how are we going to bring these people back in from being di- in, in from feeling disenfranchised to voting and accessing medical care, Lara? I think that's a huge question that we all have, and we all have that on the level as individuals, but Fano members as well, because those people are someone's cousin, for example. Um, but also, as a society, how do we bring in those people that are most disaffected? I mean, we're meant to be that team of five million. We're meant to have that kindness, and I know that that can only go so far. But really, what we're seeing is we're seeing a group of very disaffected people, very marginalised people, and no matter how they've acted, they are still members of our society. They are our relations, and we have to figure out how to bring them back in because you know we don't want them to necessarily have premature death and suffering. Or we would also like to probably see them channel some of that political action to things like voting in the future. So that's a really big, broad, open question for all of us going yeah. forward, I think. Heather, I could imagine you'd, that some of this would resonate with you being a uh, you know, former MP, former minister. Yes, yes, and that accessi- And that accessibility to, uh, yes. um, to Parliament. 
That, that's absolutely right, Wallace. I'm a political nerd too, Lara, and uh, New Zealand has one of the most open parliaments around the world. I've visited many parliaments and our, our accessibility to our politicians is um, is really something to behold and something that I was very proud to belong to. And I would be very sad to see any retreat from that. So I do feel a bit distressed when I hear uh, the Speaker and uh, the Deputy Prime Minister talking about building a fence around Parliament because that automatically sends a signal that the politicians aren't part of the people. And it's I a new world, though. Very, it's a new, very sad. Yeah, this is a new yeah, world, it is, Wallace, but we need to get the balance right and we can't be making yeah. big changes based on uh, the actions of a few. All right, stay there, uh, Laura. Yeah. Let's bring in Shane. Oh, look, Kilda Laura. First of all, there are whanau, you know, and, and I'm t- talking personally that we need to reach out to, but also there is a real in depth ugliness amongst all of this, and we see it online. I've been a victim of it when where, where mm. people have said that I'm for it, I'm going to be part of the Nuremberg trial. Those people need to be called out, those people need to be held to account. I see no, no need or no way in which I personally am going to constructively engage with them. But there are whānau members that we need to reach out. It's going to be a long road, but I think we can do it. Laura? Yeah, I think it is incredibly disappointing. And I also have had all sorts of strange emails and dick pics and targeting and all sorts of strange things happen to me doxing just through speaking out in public. And I think that that's a really common experience that I'm seeing articulated more and seeing more people speak out about. And there's also that concerning thread that this is actually ramping up, that this is getting more extreme. And that is where, like, I would hate to see the inboxes of our MPs, honestly, that that whole idea that that's going to really isolate a lot of people from politics as well and stop certain people from, say, running for office. Uh-huh. And we'll see this through the local government elections upcoming as well. Yes, That's where we I'm concerned of the impact, right, is that some great people won't stand because of all of this hatred and discontent. It's actually, Dr. Grease, that is a really great point because uh, for whatever reason, it is often local politics that really bears the brunt of a lot of hatred. Can, can I just say... Um, Laura, Laura yeah, first and Shane. Yeah, that's the next election, and that's what we've got to look forward to. And hopefully we don't see targeting of our people running, our great people running for office, and that people aren't put off politics. We need to make sure that mm. we do have that climate of acceptance and participation broadly. Shane. Oh, can I say that uh, I, I also have that concern, but let's put it in context. Uh, we, 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 the, the extremes are exactly that. They're on the, they're on, they're on the peripheral. Uh, most New Zealanders uh, are still mm. a, are still in a stage, uh, uh, still at the stage where they'll sit down and they'll have a court at all and, and we'll debate mm. the issues through. And we should just continue to do that. Actually, on that final point, uh, Alara, you mentioned that the protest had confirmed that the MMP system has protected Aotearoa against the worst of extremism. Do you want to explain that a little more for our uh, for our listeners? Yeah, so what I would say there, and this is kind of international thought about where you place the minimum entry to parliament or a national representative body, is that here you need to get to 5%. Now people have said that that's too hard to get to 5% of the party vote to get that representation. We've seen some well-funded attempts by some public figures not quite get there. But ultimately one of the things about having a threshold is that it makes it harder for people to organise to get into Parliament. And we saw that with Advance NZ and their their um, campaign last time round and not getting close. So it means that we don't have those extreme figures represented in Parliament. That may mean that they need to turn to protest to be 
be heard or feel heard, but it means that we don't have that in our national legislative body, which is, I think, a fairly positive thing overall based yep. on what we've recently seen. Thank you very much for being on again, uh, Lara Kiorum. Uh, that is uh, Dr. Lara Grees from Auckland, uh, Auckland University. And I was actually thinking, actually, quite a sad and actually personally uh, had just a little bit of a poignant, uh, poignant thought. So the show that we did right across the road uh, for ten years, uh, it was a TV show called Backbenchers at the Backbencher Pub. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I loved about it was that I guess you could say the democratisation of conversation, where whoever you are, including protesters with placards, would pile on every Wednesday and actually. Uh, be together and have strong opinions. That ended in 2017, and I just thought, five years on, I don't know if we could do that show anymore. I think you could, Wallace. I think that that was democracy at its best, and it gave people an outlet and an avenue to express their views, and that's a very, very important part of democracy. I think you could do it quite safely now. 19 past yeah. four. Uh, Shane, did you want to add just a brief word? Oh, no. Uh, no, I, I think it would be more difficult. And, of course, we have a new phenomenon that wasn't really there when Back Bitches was on, and that's social media where people where people feel they can say pretty much whatever they want. Um, and the, and many, of these, many of these folks are, are, are faceless, and then they believe that they can generate to the, that to the public sphere. And the best way, the best way to overcome that is open discussion and debate. Absolutely right. Kia ora to you both. Uh, Shane Tepo, Heather Roy with me this afternoon, and just news coming to hand. Assistant Commissioner Richard Chambers says a total of 100 people have now been arrested in relation to the protests. One person was arrested, was arrested for arson, one for threatening to cause grievous bodily harm, and nine for inciting violence. And 11 further arrests have been made today for rioting, theft and assaults. It's 20 past four on the panel uh, NZ National. In other news, a new tool aiming to tackle the pay gap or gaps in Aotearoa is set to launch this month, actually in a few days. New Zealand's largest employers are urged to sign up to the public pay gap registry and report any ethnic and gender pay gaps in their workplace publicly. And in 2021, women were paid on average 9% less than men per hour. Well, Prue Flax is the board chair of Mercury Energy, which already publishes their gender pay gap. Prue, thank you for joining the panel. Kia ora, welcome. Kia ora, good afternoon. When did Mercury start publishing its pay gap and why? Well, we first started um, reporting our pay equity ratio in our annual report in 2019. So we've done it for the last three years, Um, and we started doing that because fundamentally we believe that people should be rewarded fairly for their work, regardless of gender um, or ethnicity, and if that's what you believe, then you need to understand what your own pay gap is, and it's, it's not necessarily a straightforward exercise. I mean, a company like Mercury doesn't, um, the roles aren't cookie cutter roles, um, so it does take a bit of work and a bit of determination, but we do find that you know if you measure something, um, if it gets measured, it gets managed, and right. um, transparency does drive accountability. So we thought, well, even if we don't like what we find, we've got to start somewhere. Mm. So that's, that's what started us. Our um, guests will have our panelists will have a, a question or views on this too, but um, Prue. What sort of 
benefits have you seen? Has there been uh, a closing of the gap with, uh, you know, with more transparency? Um, absolutely, there has. Um, so, in terms of the the pay equity ratio, so that's that's you know equal pay for for work of equal value. Um, we have closed that gap, and I think in our most recent annual report, our, our ratio was was just well, 97.2 percent. I mean, that's not 100, and so we won't. Jobs not done till we're at 100. But we're now starting to focus, you know, more on the actual gap, and we have started um, publishing that on our website. And for a company like Mercury, that's a bit more challenging. It's, you know, it's 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 a business that um, is has its origins in engineering, which tends to mean that you have um, more males than than females. So so the real challenge is actually, it's the diversity challenge. It's to get more women and more people of ethnicity into more senior roles within the business. And right. actually, so, 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 so looking at the pay gap actually reinforces your diversity objectives. Okay, Heather Roy. Yeah, congratulations, Pruta, you and your board. You've shown real leadership without waiting for somebody else to tell you that you should be doing that. And I do love it when I hear you talking about transparency, driving accountability, and um, what gets measured gets managed. I absolutely believe in those principles, so that's great. I think one of the other things that really helps women particularly is is flexibility in the in the workplace, particularly around hours. And I'm reminded of some of the very good work that's being done by a former New Zealand Army officer, Dr. Ellen Joan Nelson. Um, you can access some of her work through social media, hashtag work school hours. There's some really stellar stuff being done out there to try and make it easier for women to make that contribution uh, in the workforce and, and maintain the, the, uh, the contact and the, the, uh, that they want to have with their families too. All right, stay there, Pro. I'll just bring uh, Shane to Poe in and, uh, and we'll come back to you, Shane. Yeah, I think there's a whole lot of mechanisms, and you're right to talk about the, in the industry skewers that exist. Uh, I, I work in IT, it's engineering. Uh, the, the, the number of women at Auckland University um, doing doing uh, computer science is, is about 21%. In fact, it's dropping, which is which is remarkable in itself. But you've got to have lots of mechanisms, eh? You've got to have legislative mechanisms, you've got to have the will by by employers, and and, and, and and also you need to ensure that you protect the most vulnerable through minimum wage and livable wage. All of those mechanisms count. Fair enough, Prue? That is fair enough, and I think it's, it's, it goes right back to, to universities and schools and understanding, and this is something that we're trying to grapple with at Mercury, is really understanding what the barriers are to different sectors of our employee populations advancing um, and with 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 women we we support um, we, we're in a partnership with Auckland University to encourage women into engineering um, there are other initiatives underway that aim to increase our gender representation and and we're now focusing much much more on the ethnicity side as well because um, it's not good enough. You know, the, 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 our ethnic populations are not 
well enough represented um, in the more senior levels of the organisation, and that's something that we are very focused on improving. Good to have you on the panel, Prue Kiora. Thanks for being with us. Kia ora, uh, that is uh, Proof, uh, Proof Laxia, the board chair of uh, Mercury Energy. They uh, published their big gender pay gaps online and uh, they're encouraging other uh, big corporates uh, to do the same. So uh, you'll hear more about that in the next few days, the public pay gap registry. It's 26 past four. Uh, the panel are NZ National, Shane Tepo and Heather Roy with me. Um, so I, I, I was really um, enamoured by this um, three and a half billion year rock story. It was stolen over the weekend uh, in an Auckland suburb. Has little no, little no value, but it could be the oldest fossils in the world. But it got me thinking. My question of the day is, what really interesting item do you have at home? A little piece of show and tell. It could be an old rock. It could be anything. Um, uh, is, it, is it an item you cover? Is it a rare copy of Saturday Night Fever? And the, there are some beautiful responses that just came streaming through. Ted says, I have an unopened bottle of Clayton's, the drink when you're not having a drink. <laughs> Ted... Ted, don't throw that bottle of Clayton's away because that is rare as hen's teeth. Uh, jo, jo, uh, my, my, my producer, Miriam, wonderful producer. She's just extraordinary, but she says, what's Clayton's? Let me, Shane, let's, let's tell Amelia what Clayton's is. Well, it was a, it was a non-alcoholic <laughs> way back. The and, drink you have it, when it, you're it, not having it, a drink. <laughs> yes, and, but, it, but, it, but it become a euphemism, didn't it? Like people yeah. would say, oh, that's a Clayton's, yes. that's a Clayton's approach, that's a Clayton's yeah. answer. Yeah, and it was around there for a while. But the, the funny thing is now, the funny thing now, non-alcohol wine, spirits, and beer is a big thing. Irony, eh? But back then it was a yeah, joke. Irony. Make minor Clayton's. Yeah. Uh, Julie says, I have an old board game that features early Walt Disney characters. Mickey Mouse, Clara Bell, made by Chad Valley Games of the 1930s. I bought it for 10 cents. Uh, precious heirloom. Heirloom. A crucifix. My mother died in 1966 when I was nine. The undertaker gave me the crucifix, which was on her coffin, and told me to ask the priest to bless it. Keep those coming through. A special item in your home. 2101 MME, the panel at rnz.co.nz. Heather Roy. Oh, what's mine? Yeah. Um, I looked off, uh, I was sitting in my office this morning, <coughs> the notes came through, and the thing that caught my eye actually was a piece of spine that Ken Shirley gave me, my former <sighs> ex party colleague. Uh, and it's great. It reminds me wow. when I. There's seven vertebrae fused together, not human, I should add, uh, but um, it reminds me that sometimes you do have to speak up when you feel quite uncomfortable about it. It's a reminder of why backbone is important. That's amazing. A piece of spine signed by Ken <laughs> Shirley? No, he gave it to me. It's not signed by me. He had it in his office, and when he left Parliament, ah, he gave it gotcha. to me. Shane. <laughs> um, oh, look, we got to, I got some personal tonga, but I, I, I was in the States a little while ago and I found my son at uh, this cool little uh, display and it's some, some, some pins and buttons and it was taken from a sunken ship during the, during the Civil War. And, uh, yeah, and it's just a cool little thing and we've done a bit of research and, uh, yeah, and it's something that he really cherishes. Oh, I love it, Shane. Uh, here's yeah. one here. I have a signed copy of the Rocky Horror Picture Show signed by Richard O'Brien. Uh, and Frank says, uh, Wallace, 
On my shelf is a photo of my mother in 1956 in front of a burnt-out Russian tank. She was a revolutionary who was fighting the Red Army, and I'm proud of that photo. Goodness gracious me, keep them coming. What is an item in your house that could be really insignificant and could be extremely insignificant? Uh, A little piece of show-and-tell that uh, you would like to... Actually, just um, tell the whole of New Zealand about it. Text us 2101. Shane Tepo and Heather Roy with me on the panel this afternoon.